Hey everyone, welcome to episode 19 of the Airport Wild podcast presented to you by Lou Makers Wildlife Management. Today I'm going to be your host, Brett Jacobson, and we have a great show for you. Gary Searing, the executive director of the Bird, Associate, or Bird Strike Association of Canada, is going to join us. We're going to talk about everything from the early years of the association developing, the impact of COVID-19, and I'm going to squeeze out a Super Bowl prediction from him, even though he has no idea who's playing uh, in this year's Super Bowl. So sit back, relax, enjoy, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next time. Um, today's episode obviously brought to you by Lou Makers. Our guest is Gary Searing, who is the uh, executive director for the Bird Strike Association of Canada. Gary, how are you doing today? I am very well. Yourself? I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, like I said earlier in our, in our prep, this is my first, uh, my first podcast recording. This is episode 19. Uh, so hopefully it goes as smooth as our conversation uh, previously before hitting the record button, but uh, we'll give it a go. So, um, Gary, really appreciate you being on. We got a lot to cover. Um, first and foremost, uh, the Bird Strike Association of Canada. Just give me, give me and our listeners a little backdrop on obviously what the association entails, kind of your, your mission statement and the history of it, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk to you uh, how you got involved and all that good stuff, all right? Okay, sure. Yeah, well, um, the Bird Strike Association of Canada um, was, was started about 10 years ago, but actually we have a very long history. Um, in fact, going back into the 1960s, uh, where the um, Associate Committee on Bird Hazards to Aircraft was formed uh, by the government uh, through um, the uh, National Research Council that we have here and uh, it was very active at the time. In fact, it was really the very first um, organization that tackled uh, bird strikes and, and looking at uh, wildlife management at airports. And so- When was uh, that formed? That was in the 60s. In the 60s, okay, so going back quite a bit. Going back a long ways and- Yeah. And you know, some, some you know, names that, uh, you know, are, uh, for 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 us old codgers, um, you know we 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 know we knew these people, <laughs> um, and uh, you know and they were they were kind of the the stars of the show back back then and did some some you know incredibly uh, good early research on um, you know vegetation types on on airfields even even radar using um, using the airport radars to look at bird movements, uh, you know, which is the forerunner of the marine radars, which uh, yeah. then uh, came to the, to the uh, you know, the, the avian radars that we use uh, quite a bit today. Um, and, uh, you know, so then that morphed, uh, it, well, you know, with, I mean, that, that group actually helped um, ICAO uh, write the, the, the bird, uh, hazard um, uh, 
annex that they've okay. uh, that they put out way back when and way and, back when way back when yeah, yeah starting and uh, you know and they recommended having uh, bird strike committees in in every country and and Canada formed a bird strike committee uh, which is one of the very first uh, committees in the world um, and um, and that committee was uh, co uh, hosted I guess by uh, both Transport Canada and the Department of National Defense. Uh, they had a, a, a team, you know, a two-person team that, that ran that committee. And uh, that, that ran, you know, meetings twice a year and uh, for, for many, many years. Um, and, and then eventually, Department of National Defense kind of took a backseat to Transport Canada, especially um, when Bruce McKinnon, uh, who, who's, you know, a lot of people will know, um, became the, uh, the, the, the wildlife specialist uh, in Transport Canada. And, and he was, um, you know, a real go-getter and, and um, a very good communicator. And, and in fact, he, he's the one that got the, um, the, Internet, the North American Bird Strike Conference. It was called the yeah. Joint US-Canada uh, uh, Bird Strike Conference back then. And he got that started by, you know, just through his, you know, communication with um, Bird Strike Committee USA. And, uh, you know, so, so basically, um, you know, and, 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 and Canada was going through a big transition back then of going from Transport Canada running the airports to going to airport authorities and, and having uh, local uh, nonprofits uh, running the the airports across most of Canada, and uh, nine, um, Bruce was was actually killed in a in an airplane accident. Um, no way. And yeah, he he was he was a avid. Um, well, he built his own aircraft. Okay. And it was a good aircraft, but something went wrong, and okay. and he lost his life uh, um, back then, which was a tragic loss for all of us. What was that? What year was that? I think it was two thousand nine. Okay. Okay. Good. It had nothing to do with a bird strike, though, right? It did not. Okay. It did not. Um, anyway, we were um, we were leading up to a conference in Victoria then, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, with Bruce gone, that pretty much yeah you know, nixed it. Put the the bird strike committee Canada in. in in question because he was bird strike committee Canada pretty much. Yeah. And, um, and transport Canada didn't really show a lot of interest in continuing it. And so basically, uh, you know, we, we decided that we should, we should form and we couldn't use the, the bird strike committee Canada because transport Canada wanted to keep that. Okay. And so that's why we formed the bird strike association and we made it a membership organization rather than sure. just ad hoc whoever shows up as part of the committee kind of group so yeah so that's the history and that's brought us through over the last 10 or 11 years till today so go back to those early days right so i mean i'm sure there had to have been you know like a side room conversation of like you know what the hell do we do now right Who, who's in that room with you <laughs> <laughs> well um what happened was that when when bruce died um the he was working with a conference organizer um and she reached out uh to me to form a group that could run the the run uh, 
the meeting. And so, um, and she had some ideas. Um, and so we put this group together uh, to, or, to run the meeting. And um, I, I just suggested that, you know, we should, we should form this organization at the time and, and people agreed. And so at the very, at 2009 meeting, we had our organizational uh, meeting at the time and, and got going from there. So, yeah, like, I mean, obviously, you know, it is an association and it's funded by members, right? But I'm sure you guys run it, you know, like a business, obviously. You're trying to grow your business, grow your membership. What, what was the membership like that first uh, first couple of years? Well, actually, it wasn't, it, it, it hasn't been too bad right from the get-go. I think we had, okay. um, well, we had corporate and individual members. So we sure. decided, you know, a corporation could join and then they would have what we called associate members. And then there would be individuals who weren't really, either didn't want to, um, you know, join as part of a, a company or, or were just, you know, working individually and, and uh, or just had an interest in it. And so I think we had somewhere in the order of 40 or 50 members when we started. Okay. Where are you guys at now? Uh, we're about 110 or so, okay. uh, you know, so it hasn't taken off and every airport in Canada, you know, chomping at the bit to, to join. Um, I don't understand why, because now over COVID we've actually made our membership free for corporate members in Canada. Um, and you know, we think we have something to offer them, but you know, I, sadly, I don't think that airport wildlife management is, is um, is sort of a, a burning issue on a lot of airports, uh, you know, especially smaller airports that yeah. uh, that don't see wildlife as as a big uh, uh, menace. Yeah. So um, you know, I've been obviously with Lou Makers uh, since August, right? So my background has nothing to do whatsoever with, you know, airport biology or anything like that. And that was one of the things that, you know, cause we're kind of fighting the same battle as well uh, here in the States, especially where, you know, we're growing really, really fast and rapid, but we kind of don't understand why, you know, cause we're the first, we're deemed, Blue Makers is deemed the first, uh, um, you know, certified private, you know, airport um, wildlife management company. Uh, to go in and, and do exactly what, you know, the, the USDA does, right? Um, so we're kind of, you know, we always have that conversation too, or we're just somewhat dumbfounded by how we're educating people right now that, yeah, we do exist and there is a huge benefit to installing, you know, wildlife hazard management plans or having us come out and do assessments. And then even the training seminars that we do, um, you know, the, the uh, FAA certified airport training that we do, right. a lot of people just don't even know that we, we do it and that this tool and resources out there. So feel your pain. Um, so let's talk about that. What is one of the services that you, uh, that you provide or, or what are some of the services that you provide to your members and why, you know, uh, I understand it and why everybody should really just get on board here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're not a, consulting company or anything like that we are just a professional organization so yeah. we are there you know we have airports uh and uh consulting companies airlines you know we're, we're the bird strike committee just like the bird strike committee usa yeah. has all these members 
and and so we're trying to um, we're trying to represent our membership, but we're also trying to provide some services for them. So the services we provide, you know, we have obviously running the conferences is a service, uh, you know, like getting everybody, you know, getting a, a, a platform together for, you know, for speakers and, 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 and that's sort of a training. We feel, we feel that that's a, a training yeah. uh, a forum as well, but uh, we have a, a, um, an e-library we call it an online library of about uh, 3,000 papers for uh, our members to access electronically um, on on birds you know wildlife airport wildlife management um, we, um, we we've <laughs> some time ago um, the in the past we were able to send our uh, bird strike remains to to uh, the Smithsonian Oh yeah, and, uh, Carla Dove. The <laughs> Carla, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but, she'll be but, on yeah. next month once COVID calms down, I guess. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, but but um, I guess they decided that their workload was getting so large that they just couldn't offer. Yeah, they couldn't keep up service to other countries, and so basically they said, "You're on your own." And at that time, we said, "Well, we we don't we don't we don't really know anybody that can do this stuff." <laughs> And so I started checking around and, and in fact, I asked them, well, can we pay for it? And, and uh, they came back saying, well, yeah, okay, you can pay, but it's going to be really, it's like. Money talks, right? Money talks. $600 a sample. And it was like, whoa, nobody can afford that, especially yeah. U.S. dollars, which are the big ones. <laughs> yeah, can we, send, can we just send bags of loonies? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, so it, it so one of the things that we did is we we did a search, uh, you know, all all over the place, and we actually found in our own backyard the the um, the people that started this. They actually That's trained the Smithsonian on how to do it. <laughs> and, and, is that one of those one of those moments when you're just kind of like bang your head against the wall, like really? It was yeah, right yeah. here the whole time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Anyway, so um, the uh, so we we kind of work with them to uh, provide the service to our members and to others, and, and you know got got a. I mean, there's a cost associated with it, but uh, we got a discount for our members, and you know we felt like we did a, a good service there, and and uh, and just calling to light that we you know now there is this Canadian uh, service available to airports. Um, you know, it was was an important step for us so that we could keep getting our bird remains identified. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, all right, so let's back up here. Um, so now I noticed, uh, obviously, I went on your LinkedIn like we talked about earlier. So you got you got quite a bit of a background here in wildlife biology. So let's let's talk about your college years and and uh, what degrees, what colleges you went to because I know I saw some. You went to the states for college. <laughs> I did for, for, for um, you know, two-thirds of, of my college. I started off at the University of Wisconsin um, doing a, a, what was called a pre-wildlife management program there, and, uh, and then finished my undergraduate at the University of Alberta in zoology. And, uh, and that was a real turning point um, because I, I, I got in with, uh, with a um, well, um, not my major professor, but I, I worked for a, a professor during the summer, uh, Fred, Dr. Fred Zwickel, 
um, who worked on blue grouse and he was he he worked with the um, Department of Wildlife in Washington State and and uh, just really instilled in me uh, the, the passion for for wildlife management and and just the understanding of what was involved and and also just the, the pushing me to to be a, a really um, you know take a real good scientific approach to things and and also pushing me into grad school basically saying you got to go into grad school and um, and so I applied at a bunch of different uh, grad schools and got accepted at the University of Alaska okay. and decided, decided to go go up there which was now that's in Fairbanks right if I'm was, not it's in Fairbanks yeah and it okay. was a great opportunity because uh, it's got to be know, like a wildlife biologist like just dream to be out in Alaska you know well, yeah, and it was a very small grad program. I mean, there were there were only uh, six of us uh, in my class, and I think there were about ten in the previous class. So there were about sixteen of us uh, going through, and so um, you know, it was it was you know, very close relationships with each other and with the with the fac and the faculty was incredible because it had all these institutes up there, research institutes. So I mean, there were probably you know twenty faculty for sixteen students kind a lot of, of thing. a lot of hands-on learning huh <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah so it was and you know and and doing real um interesting work up there uh you know it wasn't it wasn't so much hunting management but uh it was real well, give me, yeah give me an example i mean when we talk to our biologists right that work for us I hear all these crazy stories especially like with fish hatcheries and things like that or just dredging through you know swamps like especially here i mean i live in you know a buddy of mine uh who was on our show last week um you know here in rochester new york which is basically southern canada um <laughs> right on the shores of lake ontario um you know he was telling me a story about him and you know dredging through these swamps in 95 degree weather wearing waders and getting stuck in the mud i'm sure up there you guys had probably you probably got a story you could probably tell huh <laughs> yeah, well, it never did get up to 95 up there. Yeah, I was so. going to say, probably not that far. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, my my uh, research up there was was fairly tame. I was looking at behavioral regulation of of populations, and I I had no budget, I had no money, and so I I I, <laughs> I went into uh, uh, do some work on red squirrels uh, okay. on a, because it was a long-standing uh, study area. And so a lot of history there for the middens and everything. It was, a, it was actually worked out fairly well for me, but you know, some of the projects that, um, you know, more interesting projects, I think were, um, uh, well, there was a, 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 a some work on scavenging, where woman Audrey was uh, looking at, at the hierarchy of, of scavenging and she was uh you know so basically in the in the foothills of, of the uh, you know of, of the arctic uh, range looking at uh, wolverines and ravens and eagles and and uh, you know and how how they interacted so the behavior of those and and she learned an awful lot about wolverine movements uh during that period too so how they follow the caribou and and yeah uh, so it was it was that, that was pretty neat and a lot of caribou work and moose work and um yeah we've had it, it was it was and and one of the 
more even better uh, scientific studies, I thought, was uh, was some work on beaver. Um, oh gosh, yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, just looking at how how the the colonies are established and how the just you know the the uh, uh, you know the migration of of uh, young young beavers. Yeah. Uh, you know those two-year-olds and how they set up colonies and other streams and and how how you manage them through different types of different methods of trapping whether you trap all of the beavers at one colony or or just the you know the, the a couple and it was very interesting so yeah so you know personal story here so um like i told you my background is not in wildlife biology so um yeah i'm just you know yeah apparently i've got a good voice for podcasting but anyways, uh, so one of our one of our contracts that we have, and we're having some you know, a little bit of uh, you know kind of that that issue with beavers, is is just that right there. So one of our airports, you know, they have they have a creek, they have a river that runs alongside of it. It's getting dammed up by these beavers, and we just keep trapping them and trapping them and trapping them. And it's you know doing everything that we can to and it is it is an all-out war basically against these freaking beavers and every call we have with our biologists we have a weekly call on wednesday just about once a month it's like all right let's check in on these beavers so i never you know i'm a hunter i'm a fisherman um you know that's you know um i grew up you know in the outdoors and things like that i never expected to be in an industry or working for a company where our conference calls revolve around trapping beavers so i've done quite a bit of research myself and i've written a, a couple blogs uh about all that so give me one fun fact about beavers right now that just would uh that blows people away that they don't probably know well that's gonna put me on the spot here yeah that's a good one huh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you for for that one. yeah you should have prepared me for that oh, one man. Oh. About it. <laughs> <laughs> how big is a typical colony of a beavers well it really depends because there's uh there's the you know the sort of the island lodges uh which usually have larger um colonies so you might have uh you know six six or seven uh okay. beavers in there and then you have bank dens, <clears throat> and there might only be, you know, you know, two or three beavers in those. Okay. So. What's the, uh, what <clears throat> is the typical area? Um, like I know you said, so we've, I've had trouble with this myself personally recently. Um, I won't get into that story, but uh, <laughs> a young male, how far of an area do they cover? Well, you see the, the, the adolescents essentially there you um, go. get um, forced to disperse. Yeah, when they disperse, how far do they go? They can go for miles. Yeah, uh, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I, you know, when you, when you think of a beaver too, I mean, especially here, like in upstate New York, you know, it's not like, it's not like we have, you know, miles and miles of just water covering all over the place uh, or a bunch of mountain streams and whatnot. Um, a buddy of mine um, reached out to me recently for some tips on beaver trapping. And when I look at it is, you know, I'm like, how, how did a beaver get there? 
you know, like it's literally like the only water spot for, for, for miles. And it's like, man, so, you know, upon investigation, I figured out that, yeah, the adolescent males that get forced out, you know, every year they, they cover some ground at night. They just keep running. So, all right. So, so you're a former badger from Wisconsin, right? That's where you did your, your first, uh, your first stint of college and then Fairbanks. How did you, when you got out, what did you, what did, when you got out of college, you graduated, did your grad program, um, where'd you go from there? Well then, uh, again, coincidentally, um, I applied for a job back in Edmonton with a consultant company. Um, and, uh, it turned out that the, I had, I had worked in the museum up in, in Alaska, um, uh, and the for the head of the museum and all she was also dean of, of grad studies and it turned out that she was a very good personal friend of the president of the company that I was applying for oh okay so, so she, not what you know too you know right I know that's right you know, <laughs> I, I, I actually ended up seeing the letter that she wrote the reference letter and uh, she says I understand that uh, you know Gary's applied for a job and my advice to you is to grab him quick um, and, uh, nice. <laughs> and also this, my, you know, the professor I worked for at the University of Alberta, Fred Zwickel, um, was just held in very high esteem by the, the person who was managing the office in Edmonton for, for the company. And so, you know, I had, I had like the, the two best references I could possibly get. And so, um, yeah, so I started there and, and, uh, you know, was, was, uh, was, Gainfully employed right after I, I finished uh, university. There you go. No complaints there, huh? No complaints. And uh, yeah. how long were you? Uh, what was that company called? It's called LGL Limited. Okay. How long were you there? Well, I, I was I was there off and on for uh, you know much of my career. So I I was in Edmonton until seventy nine. So I started in nineteen seventy five. That okay. tells you how old I am. Yeah. Um, don't worry, I was born in '84, so. <laughs> yeah, so, so. Yeah. So um, my parents were like 10. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, so then I uh, I worked there. Well, '79 we moved uh, from Edmonton out to the coast to Vancouver, and then '80 over to Vancouver Island, which is where I still am here. So. On okay. A, yeah. And uh, and then I worked till '83, and then I kind of burnt out. Uh, and I went up to an island here and just started basically bought a piece of land and built a house and and just did consulting, you know, not not full time, just worked with the company on a contract basis. Okay. About, uh, until eighty nine. How many people came and just visited your island? <laughs> yeah. <Not> many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all right don't we i think i think everybody at some point gets to that point where they just get burned out and they either buy an island sure or whatever or, man they just get away it's fine <laughs> that just anyway, shows how, how hard you work there <laughs> so i came back uh they they asked me to come back in 79 in 89 and so uh so then i worked until there until um Till 2009 and then I left and went off on my own and just did yep. the airport you know just a, I uh, well what happened was that we had a contract with uh, 
with the Vancouver airport. Okay. And, uh, and so I was going to do that, you know, with the company was going to start another company to do that contract. And then they sure. decided they didn't want to do it. So I just said, well, I'll do it on my own. And that's when I left the company okay. to, do, to do that. Okay. So, yeah. So you've got, obviously, you know, you've got a lot of experience with working with obviously wildlife and airports and things like that. Um, now back to obviously bird strike association of Canada. Um, now I'm sure like every company right now, COVID has probably played a factor in some of the things for us, for example, we got most of our business from like trade shows and <laughs> And we also do training, obviously, and we do it in person. And it's really hard to uh, to hold a virtual training and show somebody how to fire off a, uh, you know, a banger or screamer gun to harass wildlife. Um, what are some of the things that have really kind of, you know, affected your guys' association or impacted you with all this COVID stuff? Well, yeah, absolutely. The, the uh, lack of uh, conferences. So we can't get together in person. We can't even get together as a committee in person. So I know I can't even fly out to your private people. island to uh, record this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a private island. It was just a piece of land on an island. Anyway, um, anyway so uh, and then and then of course um, you know our 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 members have been hit so hard. So that uh, you yeah. know, so that's why we decided to forego our membership fee uh, so that we could keep especially airports, airlines, um, as members, because I mean, they're cutting every penny that they don't have to spend. They're not spending. Right. And so, um, you know, and so basically our revenue is, is, uh, you know, gone from, from not much to nothing. Yeah. And, uh, and, but, but the, you know, the thing is we don't have paid staff. And so, you know, what we can do is just, we can, we can survive with, very little money uh you know if if we try not to do too many expensive things so um in-person meetings are expensive um uh, we we've sent out um uh posters and dna kits and things like that there's a cost yeah. you know, a substantial cost to those um and so you know we've just really kind of tightened the belt and ourselves in order to uh, uh continue to exist and to provide some services for our members uh, over these, these difficult years. Yeah. You know, and it's funny cause um, you know, obviously um, I've only, I've, I've been with, with uh, Lou makers for since August. Right. So I came in right during the middle of this pandemic. And obviously, you know, one of the first things I asked was like, you know, COVID, like, what are we doing here? And um, obviously here in the States, you know, especially in New York, the travel restrictions, super strict, um, you know, our, our awesome Governor Cuomo. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and things like that, but everybody seems to be in a holding pattern. Um, we've been really fortunate. We've, we've kept our growth, um, you know, pretty well. Uh, but one of the things that hit us the most is obviously that in-person training. Uh, like we just had to cancel our three-day training uh, that we do every year um, in, uh, I think it's in Oklahoma, but um, at the uh, Tulsa airport, but um, that's going to be virtual. So unfortunately people are going to see a lot of this. 
uh, the upcoming months. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely impacted our our training, our seminars, and things like that. So, uh, but you guys you guys also do quite a bit of seminars, right? And you've got well, we, one coming up at the end of the month. You got a couple coming up, right? Yeah, we just had one uh, on the twenty eighth. And uh, what was that about? Well, that was about COVID, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, Everybody's we, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, there was actually a, uh, a postdoc at the University of Winnipeg that, uh, and he and his team have been looking at the effects of, of COVID on on wildlife, on primarily bird use of, of habitats um, and landscape, and so and airports were were included in that. So, okay. Um, so he gave a very interesting presentation on on how how COVID has actually, I mean, even though birds aren't affected directly by COVID, they're affected by human activities and sure. as that changes, uh, bird use has changed and they've, they've been able to document that. Um, What's one of those things, what is one of the things that he, uh, he mentioned as far as uh, documenting some of the bird activity? Well, th they, they basically, um, and it, it wasn't consistent for every species. Sure. But, um, you know, they, they started using uh, areas that were uh, closer to airports, closer to roads, uh, much much more, um, you know, for, for most most species, not all species, but most species, um, you know, just you know, found that that they that there was not because of the lack of human uh, traffic activity, activity. They were able to actually extend their their range and closer to 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 airports and and roads. Now. You know, I asked the question, I said, well, you know, sometimes though that more intermittent traffic can be more disruptive to than, than a steady stream of traffic because birds and, and wildlife in general, um, you know, uh, habituate fairly quickly to non-harmful stimuli that are more consistent, but these inconsistent stimuli can kind of uh, cause more, more uh, reactions and, and frightening behavior than, yeah. than if it's just there all the time. So yeah, one of the things in that detail, but yeah, one of the things we noticed, especially so, you know, like in the in the early part of COVID, right, where everything was shut down, was kind of the peak migration, yeah, coming back through, yeah, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, especially in the wildlife airport wildlife management industry, it's kind of like, what do you do? Because there's no planes going off, there's no flights, you know, everything's kind of grounded right now. And you're just watching, you know, more and more and more, you know, um, migratory birds, you know, shifting their flyway, basically. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we definitely noticed it here in the States. Um, what's some of the, the uh, I know you guys got um, a couple of seminars coming up. What's the next one on? The next one's on uh, wintering raptors, uh, okay. specifically snowy owls and rough-legged hawks. So, um, you know, we've, we've got a couple of really good uh, researchers that are, are going to present their, their work. So uh, that, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, the snowy owl work will be primarily in the east and the rough-legged hawk work mostly in the west. So uh, it should be of interest to, to uh, airports all across Canada. Yeah, I actually saw on Facebook earlier this morning, there was a snowy owl sighting in, in Central Park, New York City. And it was like the first one in like, I don't know, like, like 50 years or something like that. But um, yeah. yeah, so you guys, but those seminars, you guys, um, you, you have, your association puts on 
um, about five or six a year, right? Or, or, or less or? Well, we just started. So, yeah. You know, January was the very first one. Um, okay. And we decided because, well, because one of our, our primary goals is, is the dissemination of information. And sure. um, we couldn't do that because we didn't have our conference last year. It doesn't look like we're going to have a conference this year. Um, and so we decided that these seminars might be the best way of, of continuing that. And, and in fact, we find that, you know, a seminar uh, series, which we may keep going. I mean, I kind of like to keep them going because, yeah. you know, you attract a certain group to bird strike conferences and they're not necessarily all the people that you might want to have talking there because, uh, you know, for example, um, you know, this Dr. Shrimp in, in uh, Winnipeg wouldn't go to a bird strike conference, but if you can dial him in electronically, he can give a presentation and it's of, of great interest to us. And we find that we could do that, um, you know, far more um, uh, effectively through yeah. uh, an online conference than, uh, or online seminars than, than in conferences. I mean, we, in the past, when we've had a conference in a location, we might seek out, uh, you know, one or two individuals locally that could pre present. But, you know, when you, when you go electronic, I mean, the sky's the limit. You can get them from anywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. Right now, we're, you know, we're, we're recording a podcast. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the big initiative right now is how people are getting information right now. And I'm sure your association much like us as a small business is kind of adapting to new different ways. Um, you know, like when we're done with this episode, you know, um, and this recording, you know, sending it out to your members, you know, so that they're, you know, they're getting, that's another way to reach out to your membership, but also to maybe gain some new members or people that you didn't, you know, that are, are sitting in their home office working from home, I mean, I know a year ago, two years ago, I had never really, you know, been a virtual, I've never been a virtual speaker ever. And in the last two years, I've been a virtual speaker probably half a dozen times. Um, and now I'm hosting a podcast, you know what I mean? So it's definitely, it's definitely, sh it, it, it's, it's weird. It's definitely reshaped the way people are communicating and absorbing information and getting information out to either their potential customers, their, their clients or their members. Um, and there are definitely some benefits to it, you know? Um, so there's definitely some kind of like the blessing in disguise kind of thing of it because, um, you know, some, even some of our, uh, our guests probably, you know, it's, it's people that we wouldn't have had on, you know, normally, but it's worked out for us. Um, yeah, yeah so. well, the other thing too is that uh, I think a lot of people are are starved for conversation and and you know this professional interaction because we're not traveling anymore. And right. So um, I think you know what you're doing here with the podcast, what we're trying to do with the seminars, that just gives people an outlet for that. It gives them you know uh, some contact with with uh, other scientists and other professionals and other people in their in their field where they can feel like they're they're not in this vacuum anymore. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, it's human nature, right? You know, we're humans, we like to contact, we be in contact, we like to 
converse, you know, we're social creatures. Um, so yeah, definitely that starve for information and that comparing notes, um, you know, I can't tell you, I mean, my day-to-day -day business life, you know, before COVID was working in an office surrounded by my coworkers. And, and that's definitely, you know, I mean, not like, for example, you know, um, you know, the president of our company, I, in person, I've only met him a handful of times, you know, because of COVID-19, because of travel restrictions. Um, and, you know, we talk regularly on the phone and whatnot, but, um, and then these conferences uh, that we used to go to all the time, you know, now it's a virtual conference and it's like, man, you know, getting pumped to, to go sit in my office and do a virtual conference <laughs> rather than shaking hands and kissing babies. But, you know, it's definitely, it's the new way of the world. So that kind of brings us into my next topic. Um, you know, the future of, you know, uh, uh, of your association. Um, now, I know you guys do some partnering with obviously the North American one. Um, you guys, what are some of the other ones that you guys partner with? Um, in a non-COVID year, I guess you could say, doing some seminars and things like that, or trade shows. Um, well, you know, we have our, we have the, we, we join with the Bird Strike Committee USA every other year for the yep. North American Conference. And then it rotates back and forth between Canada Rotate, and yeah. the US. And in the alternate years, we, we usually have a Canadian conference and that's a much smaller, more intimate affair, which we really like and we can focus on on Canadian issues whereas you know in the North American conference because the majority of people are are from the US and largely from the USDA and the US military yeah those issues really kind of overwhelm that conference yeah um, they really do <laughs> so, anyway really so, do. <laughs> so so it's nice so, going to these conferences and your number one competitor <laughs> is flooded <laughs> so yeah anyway so so we really enjoy our canadian conferences and and you know get a lot out of them um and and so you know that you know other than that you know we're we're um you know i mean our 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 goal is is basically to um, keep our members or, you know, informed. So we have a, um, a newsletter that we used to put out only once or twice a year. Now we're putting out four times a year. So much more information going out that way. Um, and, uh, you know, we still have, we've, we've written a white paper, um, which is basically, um, you know, trying to raise the bar in the industry um you know the the industry has really taken a, a a turn uh back in the late 90s mid to late 90s i think is when when transport canada uh basically divested itself of of airports across canada i mean they still have a few but mostly they divested themselves and they became airport authorities run by the um the uh you know a, a non-profit group from the municipality or locality where the airport is uh, situated. That really had a huge effect on the whole industry uh, because okay. Canada then just became the regulator and the auditor essentially. And the airports had to, had to um, deal with the regulations 
but at the time they were revising the regulations and you know and, and this is where it all went wrong i think you know and okay. not, not not to bash the transport canada because you know we 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 work with them and 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 we're we're hoping that we can um you know improve things with transport canada but we haven't had a lot of reception uh from them uh so far because some major things have to change i mean basically um you know the when they were building the doing the regulations the the airports and airlines and mostly the airports i think were, were kind of resisting stronger regulations because they knew they were going to have to pay for it and uh and yet now our members from that same group are are saying yes we want strong regulations we want you know the, a high bar but we can't afford it and you know so my my pitch to transport canada is that well look i mean this is safety but when you talk about security the airports don't pay for security we have a a um you know a, a um crown corporation essentially okay. that um does security for all the airports and so and, and and that's paid for out of everybody's ticket you know there's a price for 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 that security no way pay for every time you get top on a flight so every time you hop on a flight you're basically paying not for just the, for the fuel for and then and the comfort of flying but you're also paying for the security as well absolutely yeah huh. well, you know, you're paying for a lot more than that because you're you're paying just i mean every time the airplane touches down it has to pay the airport a fee yeah. you're paying huh. for that too because it's not the airport <laughs> the, air, the airline can't pay for it they got it i, I feel like i struck a nerve right now because <laughs> you're moving a lot but yeah no absolutely i, I get it yeah so anyway, those oversights <laughs> so my, my feeling is that like why don't why isn't safety considered in there as well like you know, for a very small fee, you know, maybe like 50 cents on, on a ticket or a dollar on a ticket, you could fund a, a very good wildlife program at every airport across Canada. And yet that's all dumped in the airport's lap. And now it's an expense that the airport has to try to minimize in order to yeah. be competitive so that the flight, does, you know, the, the aircraft flying into Vancouver doesn't decide to go to Calgary because it's, cheaper to land in yeah. Calgary and fuels cheaper there too. Uh, and so the, the competition between airports is pretty stiff. Yeah. And yeah. You know, for example, you have big wildlife issues in Vancouver and Toronto. So they have multi-million dollar wildlife programs. Sure. But when you get to a, a airport like, I mean, Edmonton and Calgary have some wildlife issues, no doubt. I mean, they, they mm -hmm. definitely do, but they only, first of all, Vancouver has them for 12 months of the year. The rest of the country only has them for six months of the year. The rest of the time, they're frozen over. They're yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the rest of the time, yeah, it's, uh, you guys are playing hockey outside, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, so, so there's these issues that we would, I mean, you know, and, 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 you know, every airport now, or not every airport, but, you know, many airports are required to have a, a wildlife management plan. Sure, yeah. In the regulations, it says that those plans have to be sent to the minister, but in reality, they aren't. The minister doesn't want them. It's probably so got other things to do. They're put on the shelf. They're never reviewed. Yeah. 
And then Transport Canada sends out auditors who aren't trained in wildlife, never been, probably never been on the active side of the fence. Yeah, people like um, me. Oh, and I really have to know what a wildlife program is. Yeah, well, you have to know what a wildlife pro how it operates and how, you know what the what the the shortcomings can be sure, in a wildlife sure. program. To see them, you can't see it from the data. No, you can't at have all. They have the data, and they have the wildlife plan, and that's what they audit against. Well, the yeah. wildlife and the regulations. The wildlife plan may be crap. I mean, pardon the vernacular. Out, outdated. Yeah, we run into that all the time. It's severely outdated and hasn't been touched in a decade. And not appropriate for the species that are there or whatever. Yeah. And not using the state of the art equipment, whatever. But that's what they're audited against. As long as their wildlife plan meets the, the fairly low level requirements of the regulations, then it's accepted and, and they're audited against that, not against safety of the airport. Yeah. <laughs> they, they really are doing what they need to be doing mm -hmm. to make a safe airport. Yeah, and and the auditors wouldn't know that if 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 you know because they're not trained and they're not biologists and they're yeah. just they're just not the appropriate people to be auditing that aspect of the of the plan of the of the program. Yeah, so we've kind of run into a, a similar frustration here in the states, especially for us. You know, we're not the only obviously we're not the only private company that offers wildlife management services and training and stuff. Um, but so. Um, I can't remember the day or the year or whatever, but um, airport operators are held liable for providing the safety of the airport in aircrafts, okay? Right. So it, it falls in their lap, right? Um, and what we deal with a lot, which is frustrating, because I know after hearing you vent about that, you just want to shake somebody and just like, it's so simple for us because we see it a certain way. Well, same thing here. You know, uh, these airports, you know, get these grants, these government funded, you know, um, amounts of money to put into safety or whatever it is that have to deal with the airport, right? And we see a bunch of them that pop up with its, you know, deer management or waterfall management or just a um, hazard management plan or an assessment. Um, they take that money, we contact them to try and get on the bid list or whatever. Um, and then they go ahead and hire the USDA, which is ran by the government. So, um, and then they come in and obviously they, they don't do the job that a trained certified wildlife biologist can come in and absolutely take over and, uh, and, and do. So yeah, it, it kind of baffles us a little bit as well that it's just one of those, it's one of those things that we just kind of have to deal with, right? Yeah, uh, and the, I mean, at least the airports are getting some money to do this. In Canada, yeah, there's sure. no money, they get no money. They have to come up with that up, out of operating expenses. Yeah, yeah. Some airports are, they don't have operating expenses, they just don't have the money. And they're <laughs> really, on, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't, I, I don't understand why many airports in Canada haven't closed down during COVID. I just can't see how they can keep operating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, trust me. Uh, we had, you know, we obviously we service a lot of, you know, you know, large international airports. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, we do service some smaller regional airports, and they used to be, you know, sending 400 flights a day. Now they're down to like 40. Um, 
you know, there used to be companies that literally would fly from, you know, here, uh, you know, just south of Rochester, just to Philadelphia or just to Charlotte, you know, each day back and forth, just, you know, and those, those are gone. Um, but yeah, so, you know, COVID's definitely, definitely, you know, reshaped a lot of the things that we do. Um, so back to the association, what do you guys see? Obviously, you know, COVID's changed the way that you do your day-to-day -day stuff and also change seminars and things like that. What's kind of the future outlook? Is there any bright spots coming up aside from your seminars or anything like that? I, I mean, you know, I think that um, we'll just continue on meeting over Zoom so that we can sure. keep our, our steering committee, but basically which the steering committee was what we now call Bird Strike Committee Canada since they gave us the, uh, the privilege of using that name again. Mm -hmm. So now it's, a, it's our Bird Strike Committee Canada is very similar to what the Bird Strike Committee USA yeah. is, a committee of, of, uh, of uh, you know, people from the industry and, and specialists. Um, so we'll continue that meeting uh, via Zoom. We'll, we'll keep doing the kind of projects that we've done in the past. Um, and, you know, really the, the place where, where we have, you know, human to human contact it, are these conferences. And so we'll just have to bide our time and wait till, till the situation is, is uh, resolved in order to do that again. But even then, there's, it's going to be very difficult for um, Canadian airports and airlines and, and even, um, you know, the, the private sector in Canada to come to these conferences uh, right away because they just won't have the money. They just won't have the, the capital to do that. And so, you know, I, we're, we talked with Bird Strike Committee USA about various options for, for our North American meeting, our North American conference. The next one is supposed to be in the U.S. this year, but uh, I don't think it will be. We'll um, see. <laughs> so we talked about putting it to next year and then uh, having ours two years after that back in Canada. Um, you know, and that gives, gives us, you know, th three and a half years essentially to, uh, for the industry to, to rebuild and, and maybe have some, some working capital to send a, a couple of people to a, a conference again, but uh, we'll play it by ear. If, if um, you know, if, if we have to, to uh, continue the, the virtual talks, that's okay too, but uh, we'd certainly like to, you know, get people together again as, as uh, when it's possible. All right, put your put your uh, put your sales hat on real quick. All right, ready? Give me give me a reason right now that somebody sitting out there listening to this should join the Bird Strike Association of Canada. And you can't say free because right now because of COVID it's free. <laughs> but that's also a good answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 the one way of connecting. To, to the community of, you know, wild, airport wildlife hazard specialists all across Canada. And, um, you know, if, if, if you want to communicate with people uh, or ask questions or, you know, in fact, sure. you know, if you have a bird that you can't identify, you've got the whole carcass, you just take a picture of it, send it in, and we have a panel of, of you know, good uh, hotshot birders that will, will uh, 
identify it for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the electronic library is a huge resource. I mean, you can find all, I mean, anything you want going all the way back into the 60s um, with papers, uh, you know, on, on virtually every single topic out there. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons, I think, uh, to, to, to be, and, and also, you know, to join, um, you know, join your voice with ours when yeah. we do go to, you know, to the minister or, or, um, you know, we, we address an issue. Um, and so those are all, I, I think those are, you know, I look at it as good reasons, but you know, it's, it's the airport uh, that has to make that decision as whether or not they're uh, invested enough in airport wildlife management to actually want to take that next step. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. Um, completely agree with you. Um, information is information, right? Information is power, you know, um, you know, much like, you know, we released, I, I write blogs for our company. Um, I do these podcasts and stuff like that. And that's it. It's just connecting. It's sharing information. It's a community. That's one thing I've picked up about, you know, obviously this industry is, man, there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge out there. And uh, so, yeah, if, if, if joining the Bird Strike Association of Canada means one more tool in my belt, if I have a question or I need to look into something, I completely agree. There's, there, it shouldn't be. It's a, it's a no doubt, no hesitation, join up. All right, before I let you go, obviously, you know, I'm here in the States. Who's your Super Bowl prediction? It's Super Bowl week. Come on. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I'm as connected to that as as I am to you know the the moon or something like that. Okay, so, so we're gonna pencil who, you in for Kansas. Who, who is even playing in the Super Bowl? <laughs> okay, in, in the last twenty years, if you would have just football. if you would have just said Tom Brady, that's it, Tom Brady. We're good. <laughs> All right, Gary, I appreciate you so much. I'm a big fan, obviously. Uh, Bird Strike Association of Canada. Um, can't say enough good things about you and the association. Uh, really, really appreciate you being on the show. Um, yeah. And uh, until next time, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you. And thank you for doing these podcasts. I think it's a, it's a real service to the industry. Any chance I can get you to play that guitar I see in the background? It's a banjo, actually. And no, even not better. Not, even not, better. <laughs> only if you turn that recording button off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gary, we'll see <laughs> we'll see ya. <laughs>